Uh, this weekend, the message is called, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And I hope you'll be here next weekend as we have uh, our Christmas, uh, Christmas experience. There's a lot in the service, but then there's also lots happening for kids of every age around the building. And I asked the team this year, let's, let's go with a theme of peace on earth, because I think we need that. And a really pretty uh, ambiance. And so you can see the stage already taking shape uh, and the decorating. Thanks to all who have decorated throughout the building this, the last couple of weeks. Uh, last week was Thanksgiving, and Joyce and I went to Cleveland, and uh, we were there for a couple days. Took my mom looking at Christmas lights, and we went to this one particular neighborhood that's been featured on a national show of Christmas lights, and you knew you hit the neighborhood when you came to this street. And uh, you can see the peer pressure uh, with a guy like that at the end of your street. You better do something, all right? Uh, when you get down there, the next picture doesn't do it justice, but this guy's house was absolutely amazing. People parked a couple blocks away, walked down there. There's a hallway down to your right, goes to his backyard. Uh, but by God, there is one stubborn neighbor to his left. I am not decorating. I don't care what you do. Um, but hopefully your house is looking beautiful. I, I like all the decorations that are home and here as well. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas and uh, I would add to that parenthetically again. And uh, we have a song. Typically, when you hear that statement, you think of this song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door Sure, it's Christmas I'm sure I lost a bunch of friends right now because I just ruined a good song, right? Uh, but the tension there, the disparity is between what we want the season to feel like and the headlines just keep pummeling us, uh, regardless of where you look, whether it's close or around the world. And when we talk about Christmas, I want you to think of it in terms, Oxford Dictionary says Christmas is the festival of Christ celebrating Jesus coming to earth. And when we talk about looking like Christmas, take away the trappings. Uh, when Christ was born, if you're following along in the app, there's, a, there's a, an outline to follow. It wasn't carols, lights, and decorations and presents. That's not what it was looking like, a lot like Christmas when he was born. On the contrary, that first Christmas when he was born away in a manger, injustice ruled uh, across society. Poverty was plentiful. Civil strife was constant. And violence and political conflict dominated the Roman Empire, which was primarily the civilized world at the time. And no wonder then that there were Jewish and Messianic hopes about a revolution to happen. Let me read for you from some Bible theologians just how they described, you know, Herod was the, was the Rome-appointed king of, of Israel at the time. But let me read for you what scholars use to describe 
what it was feeling like, looking like that first Christmas. One said it was clear that Herod was brutal. Jesus was born into essentially a third world context under a military dictatorship. It was a society where everyone was coerced. Mary and Joseph, New Testament scholars say, lived in an oppressive society. They were heavily taxed by the local and faraway rulers who, some scholars believe, demanded as much as 50 to 60% of what they earned and owned. While the rich prospered, the peasants suffered and their hatred for Herod and the Romans grew. When we speak of peasants, put Mary and Joseph in that category because when they took Jesus to the temple at eight days of age, they offered the sacrifice that an impoverished person was instructed to offer. The Jews hated Herod because he had a reputation as a murderer and a thug. Certainly there was tension. No one likes to have a murderer ruling over them or being heavily taxed. The whole concept of civil rights did not exist. If Herod wanted to do away with you, he could slit the throat of anybody he wanted. Now let's zoom in and look a closer look at Herod. The birth of Christ occurred during or near a truly dreadful time in history of what was already a troubled and turbulent land. Herod the Great was coming to the end of a long career that was bloody and paranoid, even by the standards of ancient monarchies. He ruled through tactics of mass terror and widespread surveillance. Herod had killed multiple members of his own family. He was in the process of trying and executing his son for alleged treason. He also systematically wiped out all male claims of the throne from the ancient Hasmonean royal dynasty who might replace him. No matter how violent, Palace intrigues need not have a, a wider public impact, but Roman, uh, Herod's growing paranoia and mental illness was becoming a scandal among other rulers and was presumably well known to any educated member of the Jewish elite. This is recorded by Josephus, a, a historian of the day. The question then arose, what happens when Herod dies? For 150 years, Jewish Palestine had been deeply divided between warring factions whose conflicts had been kept in check by Herod's equal opportunity reign of terror. During Herod's reign also, domestic conflicts found a new focus in the response to Roman dictatorship. Herod was an appointed Jewish king, but he had to rule as a Mediterranean monarch, supporting the public symbols and performances of the Roman Empire. These activities would outrage religious, nationalist, Jewish opinion as a display of idolatry. And it, the question abounded, might Herod's death mark the rebirth of a purified and independent Jewish state? When you read about that kind of tension and hostility and danger, and you realize the, the, the political climate, no wonder Jesus was often asked, is now when you're going to restore your kingdom? Is now the time? Because they were really looking for relief under the tyrannical domination of Rome. In addition to all those societal circumstances, Jesus was born that first Christmas at a very spiritually bleak time. There had not been a, a prophet in Israel for four centuries. Malachi was the last prophet to address the people. Words of the Lord were rare in those days. In Malachi's message, a four, short four-chapter book, he has a few themes he confronts. One, he confronts the people because they were saying, oh, what does it pay to follow God to serve him? Look at ungodly people. They're no worse or better off than we are. A second theme that Malachi confronted was how casually they got about their weddings, uh, marriage, and he said, God hates divorce. 
And the third thing he confronted was their, their selfishness in giving. And he said, you're robbing God by not giving him tithes and offerings. And that troubled time, politically, spiritually, economically, in every way, was what the Bible calls the fullness of time. That is the time, that is the scenario, that is the climate and the culture in which baby Jesus was born. Now, he had been anticipated for centuries. The first prophecy about the birth of Christ is shortly after creation in the third chapter of Genesis. And that was thousands of years ago. And God prophesied, uh, told uh, the serpent actually at the fall of man that he was going to raise up a savior centuries later. You fast forward thousands of years and you've got somebody like Isaiah the prophet who is basically prophesying that a virgin will give birth to a child. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then someone like Micah prophesied that Jesus would be born in this little obscure town of Bethlehem. It would make no sense to anyone why that would be the case. And then sure enough, the Apostle Paul describes the birth of Christ in a sense of anticipation. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, here's what he says. He says, when the fullness of time came, say fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now that, you can just gloss right over that and not pay a lot of attention to that. But by Paul saying in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, He's being very particular to his readers. He's sending a very clear message, and the clear message is that God keeps his promises. Let me go back to what I mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the account of God creating the universe and God creating mankind, Adam and Eve. He places them in the Garden of Eden, and he tells them uh, not to sin, to obey him. And you know the story. It wasn't, chapter 3 starts, and it starts out with Eve and Adam both falling to temptation, and they're guilty of sin. When they sin, they open the spiritual floodgates on humanity. Sin is what causes not only sin, but suffering, death, disease, all that plagues us today. It's the consequence. We call it the fall of man. With the fall of man, not only did God tell Adam and Eve, okay, because you didn't obey me, here are the consequences of your disobedience. He also says to Satan, at that time the serpent, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, if you have a choice, how many of you would rather be bruised on the heel than on the head? All right, because a blow to the head can be fatal. That's the point that God is making. Yes, Satan, you will plague humanity throughout the centuries, but there is coming one, the seed of a woman, someone who will be born of a woman, is going to deal you a death blow and crush your head. Amen. Now, does, do, you, do you realize that what, what Paul is saying in Galatians? In the fullness of time, Christ was born of a woman, and he's saying there, God keeps his promises in troubled times. Let me hold that thought for a moment and let's step outside the New Testament narrative and even Old Testament. Some of you are living through not just in society troubled times, but personal troubled times. And I'm here to tell you that God keeps his promises. That God can be trusted for you in your life, even though your future hasn't been written and it's unknown. 
And here's what that promise looks like. We fast forward now to the book of Luke, and we see that, that Caesar had this bright idea that everybody in the Roman Empire should be taxed. And he added to that, everybody loves new taxes, that you have to go back to your hometown to pay that tax. So I'd be putting Joyce in the car and going all the way to Cleveland to do that. For Mary and Joseph, he was from Bethlehem. And so Mary is nine months pregnant. Ladies, imagine that. He put her on the back of a donkey, and they went on dirt paths uh, all the way to about the south side of Cincinnati. Wouldn't that be fun? You can imagine the mood of that donkey ride. And so we read in in Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there in Bethlehem, The days were completed for her to give birth. Her due date came. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in claws, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Say good news. Say great joy. Which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a savior. A savior. Not a king, not a political ruler, but a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, when I read that, if we were writing the script around that first Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, good news, great joy, then we would think, okay, great. All of the tyranny of Rome is coming to an end. There is now peace and safety everywhere. But we know that days later, Herod flies into a rage when the wise men came and said, imagine now the wise men saying to Herod on their way to Bethlehem, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? From what I just read about how paranoid Herod is, no wonder Herod flew into a rage and said, well, come back and tell me when you find that king of the Jews, he wanted to destroy him. So it's no surprise that days later, after the birth of Christ, when Herod realized that the wise men were not returning to him, that he goes ahead and he says, I want every baby boy, two years of age and younger, to be killed in greater Bethlehem. Why? Because I'm going to snuff out my political rival, this king of the Jews. That doesn't sound like peace on earth in earth's circumstances to me. And when I look at how Christ and God fulfilled his promise, the first Christmas... Make no mistake about it. While we have very pristine settings, and I love the manger settings throughout the building, we have two mangers in our home, and I love both those manger scenes. It was not about snow globes or twinkle lights. That first Christmas when Christ came was dismal, dangerous, and desperate. And the headlines you just saw that ruined uh, looking a lot like Christmas are the kind of headlines that the people of the Christmas story, those, those shepherds, those wise men, Mary and Joseph, that's the kind of thing they would have been grappling with. The Bible goes on, though, to predict troubled times on our horizon. If indeed Jesus came to bring peace on earth and he's a reason for joy in the midst of and in spite of circumstances, and that's what Christmas was, 
then we look at Christmas now and realize, okay, then we can have peace, we can have joy, even in the midst of the circumstances that surround us. And understand, God prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to send a deliverer from the seed of woman. You go here and you have Isaiah prophesying and, Mal and, and Micah prophesying, and then Jesus is born. That baby then grows up. He's baptized in the Jordan River. He preaches and displays the love of God, the power of God, and he came to be our Savior, makes that clear to us. I'm not a political Savior. I'm a spiritual Savior. I'm not a political term of office. I'm an eternal king. I'm the Prince of Peace. And this one who's the Prince of Peace then made some predictions and some speculations about what was ahead of his followers. It was thousands of years from Genesis to Isaiah to Micah and 700 years then to Christ being born. And it has now been thousands of years, 2,000 years, since he was born in the little town of Bethlehem. And Jesus made a huge promise before he left the planet. When he had his disciples together at the Last Supper, what did he say? I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so you may be with me. So Jesus made a promise that if Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth, he made a promise there's going to be another Christmas event sometime in the future, and it hasn't happened yet. But to give us some sense of awareness and also some sense of strength and coping and anticipation, he predicted the kinds of things and the kinds of headlines we're going to face so that we'd be able to persevere. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, near the end of his life, he said, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. Now, let's just stop there. I don't know about you, but when I hear of all the military potential disasters that are out there and the international powder cake that we're living in, I don't go, oh, well, that calms me down. No, don't be frightened. He says, for those things must take place, but that's not the end yet. I mean, when I think about Russia and China, when I think about how badly the church is being persecuted in the Middle East and in parts of Africa, when I think of Iran and ISIS and Afghanistan, the migrant crisis, and just the powder keg of international tensions, Jesus says, don't be frightened. And then when you fast forward, you know, we, we hear a lot about supply chain issues, and you may or may not have Christmas presents that you were hoping for. In Revelation chapter 6, Verse 6, it's, it's supply chains and scarcity and famines on steroids. It's predicted. So here's Jesus in his life, and he's looking now across the centuries. Before Christ, it's centuries of time. After Christ, it's, it's 2,000 years, and it hasn't, the end of history hasn't happened yet. And the end of Revelation tells us it's the final chapters of the Bible and the final chapters of human history. In those final chapters of human history, the Bible says all hell's going to break loose. 
Not only will there be wars and rumors of wars that Jesus talked about, but there will be famines and scarcity to the point where uh, how would you like to pay a day's wages for a bag of flour? But that's basically what the Bible says. So if you make 20 bucks an hour, 160 bucks for you know, a, bag of, a bag of flour, it's that kind of thing that is looming in the future. Likewise, Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, it talks about worldwide plagues that can destroy as much as 20, 25% of the population. So I kind of get the feeling that a worldwide pandemic is just kind of like a prelude to what can become and what will become in those final chapters of history. I look at Revelation chapter 13 and you see global control of everyday life. Some people call it that's the mark of the beast. But basically, there'll be a worldwide consensus of what we can and cannot do. There'll be a worldwide leader and, and they will control the economy. If you control the economy, you pretty well control people. What you can and can't buy or sell. All that sort of totalitarian kind of life, man, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, seemed like science fiction. Now, as we see worldwide consensus dictating our behavior and our freedoms, it's not that hard to see at the end of Scripture that the world that's being described there will be a reality, a tragic reality, an undesirable, painful, horrific reality, but you can see how it's going to come about. So you're sitting there right now going, okay, this makes me feel better. How? All right. Well, here's what Jesus said. With all that stuff, knowing what was coming, knowing what they were currently living with in the New Testament culture, Jesus said this to them and to us. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My confidence is the one who created us, the one who started this world in the first place, the one who knew that sin damaged and, and ruined our existence, and so he promised a savior for us. My confidence is in him who fulfilled his promise in the fullness of time, and my promise is in him who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I'm preparing a place for you, I will come back. If God kept his promise through Christ 2,000 years ago at the first Christmas, Jesus will be faithful however long it is in the future to keep his promise again. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so, you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Got a funny way of helping me be joyful, Jesus. Now, I want you to realize that my joy is not dependent on circumstances. How many of you in the last month have had at least one really good day and one really bad day? Can I see our hands? Most of us, right? It's the nature of life. So on a really good day, you've got joy. On a really bad day, you don't have joy. I won't ask for the next show of hands, but a lot of us might say, well, I've had a whole bunch of bad days. So is your joy gone until good days come back? No, Jesus talked about my joy. He uses the same word formula in chapter 16, a chapter later, these things I've spoken to you. He, these things I've spoken to you, my joy is in you. These things I've spoken to you so that, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. Jesus is a realist. How many of you have some tribulation in your, in your life, in your world, all right? Obviously, you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. 
Jesus basically says, yep, the world is a mess. We'll all agree to that. It's a mess now. It was a mess then. It was a mess before that. Sin messed it up in the Garden of Eden and has done so ever since. But Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome it. And if I've overcome it, I'm showing you the path to follow me to eternal life. And and Luke chapter 21, he says, when these things begin to take place, all the troubling things I was just talking about, Straighten up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus said, will not pass away. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has kept his promises for centuries of biblical history. He kept his promise that first Christmas, and, and, and he brought Christ in the fullness of time, and he will continue to keep his promises to us, through us, until the day he keeps the ultimate promise, and that is when Jesus Christ comes back for all of us who trust him. Now, I want to go back to the title. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas again. What I mean by that is the way it looked the first Christmas. In that first Christmas, there was injustice and poverty, civil strife, violence, political conflict. Things were bleak spiritually. And when I look, when I look, it's beginning to look like Christmas again. But that first Christmas was Jesus coming to earth. And for me, it's beginning to look like Jesus is going to come to earth again. It's beginning to look more and more like the signs are lining up and the things that Jesus talked about. And he said, watch for this and anticipate this. It'll be like that and it'll be this way. All those things he spoke of as future tense, it is getting closer and closer and closer. So I have a sense of anticipation that Christmas, Christ coming to earth, is just around the corner. But this time, it's not going to be a baby in a manger. It's going to be an angel and a trumpet and Jesus himself. And let me just read it for you, because here's how the Apostle Paul describes it. He said, the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So it will be Christ come to earth again any day now. The whole reason he tells us that is that knowing where we're going, knowing that he's returning, helps me handle and cope and deal with everything on this planet until he does. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me before I land this sermon. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but I've spoken these things, you'll have peace, take courage, I've overcome the world. All right? So I want you to high five or air five, whatever you want to do, or fist bump, five people you didn't come to church with, and just tell them, Jesus said, we've got this. Go on, five people, just tell them.
All right, have a seat. When you remember the words of Christ, when I recall the things Jesus promised, I realize how troubled times were that first Christmas when it was beginning to look a lot like Christmas then. And I can look at our Christmas tree, whether I look at the beautiful decorations here at church or look at our Christmas tree at home or look at the manger scenes, and I can, I can have a sense of peace. I can have a sense of hope and a sense of confidence because I know indeed that God fulfills his promises. He did it then. He'll do it again. And he can be trusted. And when he does do it again, as the Apostle Paul described, the Bible says that when, when that trumpet blows, when, when the, there's a voice of an archangel, the archangel, I don't know if he's going to yell something like, here he comes, or he's keeping his promise. Merry Christmas. I don't know what he's going to yell. But he will come for all of us who put our trust in Christ. And someday the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How? How can I, with that knowledge, with those promises, with that realistic interpretation of life in this planet, how can I possibly lose the joy and the peace and the hope of Christmas, of Emmanuel, of Christ with us, regardless of circumstance? Would you bow with me in prayer? I felt compelled to share this message because life is so troubling. And in the natural, anxiety abounds. On top of that, I know that there are many among us, and boy, we're going through our own crises and struggles, and it feels like the fullness of a troubled time. But I want to just remind us that while packages and bows and lights are nice, it's, it's about something way beyond that. And Jesus came that we might have life he came to be the way, the truth, and the life and to make us confident and sure in a peace that only he can give, in a joy that does not depend on circumstance, and a hope that is endless. And I want to speak, first of all, just to brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here and you'd say, I'm, I'm going through a troubled season, a troubled time in my life, I, I need this Christmas the peace, the courage, the joy of Christ in a new way. I need God's help. Can I see our hands all across this place? Pray for me. Yeah, lots of us. God sees your hand. More than that, he sees your circumstance that prompted that. If you're here today and you'd say, I haven't asked Christ to be my Savior. I see people get baptized and I haven't trusted him with my life, but I want to be forgiven. I want to have the joy and the peace and the courage that he promises. I'd like to make him my Savior and Lord and surrender my life to him today, this Christmas. If that's you, raise your hand all across this place. We're going to pray. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah, you just put it up and put it down. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah. Several across the front, throughout the building. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, I lift up Christians. You see the heartache. You see the anxiety, the fear, the stress, the strain, whatever it is, and raising their hand, Lord, I need you in a special way. 
this season of God with us. I need to know you're with me. Lord, we don't want to live by feelings, but I pray for you just to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon those who raise their hand a, a sense of your presence and an awareness of you in their life. We give you our circumstance, whether it's in our home, our family, our career, our finances, our, our education, our health, wherever that place of turmoil and trouble is, Lord, we just bring that to you and we pray for peace. We pray your presence and we pray for courage. For those who raise their hand to say, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, let them look back and say, Christmas 2021, in that service, I raised my hand, I prayed a prayer, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I, I have known his presence in an increasing way ever since. And for those who want to accept Christ today, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me, and I'm going to ask everybody to repeat it with me just in, in the support of them. Would you pray this prayer and that relationship begins? Lord, I come to you today. I realize I need you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I thank you that you came that first Christmas to give me forgiveness and hope. Please receive me as your child. I surrender my life to you. From this day forward, Help me to grow to know you, to love you and serve you, to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness and amazing grace. And as I pause, if there are things that particularly trouble your conscience, just quietly whisper those in an apology to the Lord. So Lord, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you, God, that you call us to walk by faith, not by sight. And we thank you that in the fullness of time you came that first Christmas. And Lord, there, these are, we thank you these are troubling times now, but they do not get the best of us because then and now heaven came down and you came to be with us and we trust you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our prayer is no fear this Christmas, but joy to the world, to your world, peace within. Next weekend, I'm going to share with you five biblical keys to increasing your peace. So don't miss that as we talk about peace on earth. It's also our, our Christmas weekend. There's stuff for kids of all ages throughout the building, an amazing service. Our chimes are changed for, for next weekend. We have a service on uh, Friday at 7, Saturday at 5, on Sunday, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. So don't come your normal time. Invite someone with you. If you accepted Christ today or are new to CLC, stop by the VIP room. We'd love to meet you. God bless you. Have a great week. See you soon.